0: If you have your Bibles today, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to three different places. We're going to kind of be all over the place today in Romans 16, Ephesians 3, and the book of Jude, which is right before Revelation. It's only one chapter, so we're going to be there. But for those of you who are new to First Baptist Ocean Way, for the last nine years, at the beginning of every year, we ask all of our members to pray to seek the Lord and ask the Lord to give you one word, a word for the year. One word, as we said, anchored in the word. So what we normally say is find a verse. Um, Start there, find a verse. And and one word anchored in the word that becomes your prayer for the new year. And in the past nine years, we have, there have been some pretty amazing stories of how God used words to prepare people for things that they could have never anticipated. Some very very good some from a human perspective maybe maybe not so good but every year as I seek a word for the Lord I understand that it's not just only a word for me personally it's also a word that I pray over my family and it's a word that I pray over um, this faith family you know this word is not just for me and which when you think about it every word that God gives to us even if it's a word from a pastor if the Lord gives it to us it's not just for us The word is not meant to stop with us. It's meant to spread through us. So I pray that as we receive the word, it's not just for us alone. We're giving it to others. I want to encourage all of us today, every member of our faith family, to seek the Lord this year for a word. And when God gives you that word along with a verse, to put that word up on the board here as a reminder for you, I want to encourage you to also take another Three by five cards, so we have cards up here, pens, all those things. But take an extra one and write your word in that verse and put it either in your Bible, put it on your mirror that you can see it every single day. Because I have to admit, there have been times where I had a word for the year, and somewhere along the, the year, if you were to ask me what was your word for the year, I'd be like, "Uh, yeah, um, what what was that again?" But so keep that ever in front of you, and then put it on the board as an encouragement for others. And as I say a lot. Those that have been touched and saved by grace, you don't have to beg them to do anything. But sometimes you do have to guilt people into some things. So let me just say this to us today. Um, As a whole, not just speaking of any service, but as a whole, our youth last year, percentage-wise, completely dominated words for the year. Percentage-wise, our youth had more words up on this board than adults. Now, majority of the Bible, the adults are supposed to lead out. But last year, through our church, our youth took the lead and said, here, here, and if they tr- choose to do it again this year, then so be it. Praise God for Pastor Jordan and Blair and the way that they are leading. But I pray that we all would step up this year and seek the Lord for a word that he has uh, for us. And So my word for the year, is, and you can kind of see it's more of a phrase for the year, but I'm the pastor so I can make up the rules as we go along. But my my word for the year, my phrase for the year came pretty early. I think it came in October when we were reading through our Bible reading plan and I came upon a a phrase, um, a a three-word phrase, that when I pursued it, I realized it appears three times in Scripture, but every time it appears in Scripture, it appears as a six-word phrase. So as I began, I, I looked at this phrase, now to him. It appears in Romans 16, in Ephesians 3, and in the book of Jude, where we're going to be today. And all three times that phrase, now to him, appears with another phrase, who is able. Now to him who is able. And before we jump in, I want to just think about those three words, now to him, which find their meaning in that word, him and who he is just think about who God is this morning who else do we know that is high yet humble that is strong yet sensitive that is righteous yet gracious gracious that is powerful yet merciful that is authoritative yet tender that is holy yet forgiving that is just yet compassionate that is angry yet gentle that is firm yet friendly. From Genesis to Revelation, we see a continuing revelation of who God is. And the beautiful thing is that after each revelation, this book would have us know that our God is so much more. He is so much more. And know this, he is able. He is able. God is able. There aren't many Three letter or three three-word nine-letter sentences that can stir a person's heart like that can. God is able. Richard Strauss um, insightfully explained that power is something with which we are all familiar. We can grasp its significance, at least we think we can, until we come to God. Then suddenly our minds are boggled. He says, God possesses infinite, complete, and perfect power. None of us can make that claim. Our capabilities are limited, and he says this, but God is able to do everything he wills. God can do everything he wills. And think about this. According to Genesis 21, God is able to hear the faintest cry. According to Daniel 3, God is able to deliver from the fiery furnace and fiery trial. According to Hebrews 7, God is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him through Christ. According to 1 John 1, God is able to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. According to John 10 and 2 Timothy 1, God is able to keep us for all of eternity. According to Matthew 9, God is able to open up the eyes of the blind. According to Mark 1, God is able to cleanse the leper to make clean what was unclean. According to Genesis 22, God is able to meet our every need because he is Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. According to Hebrews 2 and 1 Corinthians 10, God is able to help us in the midst of our temptations, even making a way of escape. According to 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound to us because 2 Corinthians 12 says His grace is sufficient for us. And as we come this morning, we're going to see that according to Romans 16, God is able to strengthen us. According to Ephesians 3, God is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, above all we could ask or imagine. And according to Jude, Jude 24, once again, God is able to keep us to the very end. He Is able. Our God is able. And that word is, as we see in scripture, He is able, is in the present tense, meaning that He is able, He has always been able, and praise God, He will always be able. This is the God that we serve. No matter what you are going through, God is able. He will not fail you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, meaning. That he is still Jehovah Jireh. He is still your provider. He is still El-Ra'i, the God who sees you. He is still El-Shaddai, the Almighty One. He is still Jehovah Nisi, your banner in the midst of battle. He is still Jehovah-Rohai, your shepherd. He is still Jehovah-Rofi, your healer. He is still Jehovah Shema, ever present with you. He is still Jehovah Shalom, your peace. He is still the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is still the one who is before all things so he knows what's coming into your life and my life. He's not surprised. He is still the way maker. He is still the one who gives us victory in the battle. He is still the name that's above every name. He is still the King of Kings and Lord. Lord of lords, he is still over every power and every authority, and he is still mighty to save. That is good news. We had not gotten into the words yet, and here we are rejoicing in this God who he is for us. So therefore, let me say this, don't listen to the lies of the enemy that tells you that God can't. Because God is is more than able. He is able. He loves you, and he will not fail you. Let me say it again. God is able. He loves you, and he will not fail you. He won't fail you. He doesn't know how to fail. In the words of A.W. Tozer, and I love his writings and how deep he is, but he says, since he has at his command all the power in the universe, The Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. This is the God that we serve, and this is the God who speaks to us. This is our God. So what I want to do this morning, I want to take individually um, through three verses to unpack the one, now to him who is able, and show you, and this is kind of weird because this is my word for the year, and this is kind of my application for this, but I pray that as you hear these words and, and this application that you would also apply it to your life. And however God uses it, may it be for his glory. So we're going to begin today with Romans 16. So Romans 16, and I'm going to let you stay seated because we're going to be moving around a little bit. But Romans 16, verse 25, when you get there or when you see it on the screen, let me hear you say. So it says this, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. And here's my first application. I find my strength in him. I find my strength in God is able to strengthen every one of his children. Maybe you're experiencing your weakness right now. Maybe you or someone you love have recently received an unexpected diagnosis. Maybe you've lost a loved one. are still walking through that. Maybe you are under extreme stress at work. Or you are dealing with a difficulty that you have come to the end of your own strength and your own ability. And this verse would have you know that there is supernatural strength for you. For you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling amazing. You've had the best week of your life. You've never been better. But how much would it take to destroy that strength? How much would it take for your world or my world to come crumbling down? The point of this passage is that God is able to strengthen us so that even if we must face one of these horrible things, we can still stand. We can still stand in Him. God is able to strengthen us. And hear this, not only is God able to strengthen us, He wants to strengthen us. God wants to. The sovereign God wants to strengthen you and me. This week, I read this thought, and it was so amazing and so encouraging. Just just listen. Many kings in history and many dictators today desire glory. They want to be known as strong, rich, and wise. And how have they gone about receiving glory and strength? By keeping their citizens weak, poor, and uneducated. The uneducated people an An educated people is a threat to a dictator. A prosperous middle class is a threat to a dictator. A strong people is a threat to the strength of a dictator. So what do they do? They secure their own power by keeping their people weak. They get their glory by standing on the backs of a broken people. And then contrast that to the way that Paul draws attention to the glory of God. If any king ever had the right to display his glory by stepping on the backs of a rebellious people, it would be God. But what does God do? He displays his own glory, hear this, by making his people strong. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, be glory forevermore is what verse 27 says. God magnifies his glory by making us strong. Strong. God doesn't feel threatened when you and I become strong. God knows that the stronger our faith, hope, and love is in Him, the greater He appears. The greater God appears. So God does not secure His strength by keeping us weak. God magnifies His glory by giving us strength. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you and me be glory. God is able and God desires to strengthen his people. Yet here's the question, how? How will God strengthen us? And Paul answers the question, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. God strengthens us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that the holy creator of all who made heaven and earth, who made us. And yet we rebelled against him. We looked a holy God in the eye and we said no. And yet God pursued us and pursued us and pursued us in the perfect time. He sent forth his son to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to die as a sacrificial atonement for our sin, for your sin and my sin, so that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. And many Christians mistakenly think that the gospel is merely a doorway into Christianity, but the gospel is the mansion itself. Meaning, a believer doesn't get the gospel and move beyond the gospel. We get the gospel and we move into the gospel. We grow more and more in the gospel. This is the way that God strengthens his people. And when God strengthens his people through the gospel, it's like sinking a post deep into the ground and then filling a hole with concrete where that pole is not going to move. And in the same way, in the same way, the gospel doesn't move. And those who are... Firmly planted in it won't move either. God wants to strengthen us. And listen, here's what I know about us. Maybe I'll just confess my sin. Oftentimes, we ask God to strengthen us. But what we really want is for God to strengthen the natural object that we're clinging to. So we we want God to strengthen our health, our relationships our plans, our purposes, our this, our that, our something else. But all of these things prove feeble, they prove temporary, and this, why, this is why it might seem that God doesn't answer some of our prayers because God loves us too much to attach us to things that are feeble and temporary. God loves you too much to answer a request that will only lead to your demise. God loves us too much for that. Yet notice what Paul says. Paul doesn't say the gospel. Paul says my gospel. Now, in no way is Paul saying that I have a different gospel. It's something that God gave me and not anybody else. What he's saying is this. There's a difference between the gospel and my gospel. There's a difference between knowing that Jesus died upon the cross for sinners and knowing that Jesus died upon the cross for me. There's a difference between knowing that God said he would forgive sinners and knowing that God has forgiven me. There's a difference between knowing that God has made statements throughout Scripture, throughout his word, or believing that, and then believing that, no, those are for me. Those are things that God has given to me. So Paul didn't see the gospel as some random ideas out here somewhere. He viewed them as their mine. So do you own the gospel that way? Has it become good news for you? Because here, here's the deal. Gospel ownership, when we own the gospel, it leads to strength. It leads to strength. So I find my strength in him. Find my strength in him. But secondly, let's look at Revel, or Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians 3, in verse 20, When you turn there or when you see it on the screen, let me hear you say. And Paul writes these words now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. It's a comfort to know that our God answers us. But here's here's the point. Here's the application. Secondly, I find every answer in him. Every answer in Him. When we pray, our God is able to do for us what we ask of Him. And Paul says He's able to do abundantly more than we could ask of Him. One pastor from a century ago, named Arthur Pearson, once said that there is a sevenfold measure of the power of God in this verse. The first is that God is able to do what we ask, second, God is able to Second, he is, excuse me, first, God is able to do what we ask. Second, he is able to do all that we ask. Third, he's able to do what we think. Fourth, he's able to do all that we think. Fifth, he's able to do above what we ask or think. Sixth, he's able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. And seventh, he is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or ever think. What do we say to that? All we can say is hallelujah and amen Amen. to our God who is able to do more. He is more than able. And hear this this morning. Oftentimes, our problem is not that we ask too much from God. Our problem is that we ask too little. We ask too little from God. Just think about what you've asked God for this week. And then answer this question. Do your prayers show that you really don't believe in God because you haven't been praying at all? Do your prayers show that you don't believe that God really cares for you, that God's able to meet your needs? Do, you, do your prayers show that you just don't believe God's able to do the big things in your life? Or do your prayers show a faith in a loving and amazing God who is able to do all things? What do our prayers throughout this week show the God that we believe in? In her book, *A Slow and Certain Light*, Elizabeth Elliot—excuse Elliot, me—who was a missionary in Ecuador, tells of two adventurers who stopped by to see her, all loaded with equipment for the rainforest east of the Andes. So, all this in Ecuador. So they sought no advice, just a few phrases to converse with the Indians. And she writes, "This sometimes we come to God, as the two adventurers came to me, confident and we think well informed and well equipped." But has it occurred to us that with all of our accumulation of stuff, something is missing? We think we know what we need, a yes or a no answer to a simple question or perhaps a road sign, something quick and easy to point the way. Yet what we really ought to have is the guide himself. Maps, road signs, a few useful phrases are good things, but infinitely better is someone Who has been there and knows the way. What if our prayer each day was God above everything that I want. And above everything that I think I need. God I want you. God I want you. I need you. You are the answer to every need that I have or will have. And God can do all that we ask. But why does Paul use the word think? Above all that we can ask or think. And I think Paul knows that there are certain things that we are willing to ask God for, and there are certain things that we're unwilling to ask God for, so we only think about them. There are certain things that we think are too hard for God, so we don't think, or we don't ask Him, we only think about it. There are certain things that we think, well, God doesn't care about this detail in my life. I'll let it eat me up, but I won't ask God for it. Maybe deep down, we just don't believe that God is able or God is willing, but He is. Yeah. The, the good news is that our God is not limited by what we could ask, and He's not just limited by the things that we think upon. God is not bound um, by what we can accomplish on our own. Let me just give you a helpful hint today God can do more than you can. Right. God can do more than. Maybe you're having the best week of your life, and you're like, man, I've been pretty good. This, Pretty amazing week this week. Let me tell you two things you can't do. You can't make anything out of nothing. By which God made everything out of nothing and you can't save yourself. God did both of those things. Made everything out of nothing and he saves us. Therefore God can do more than we can. But you can find your answer whatever you need in him. He can do more. I find every answer in him. Which leads us to the last verse today which is Jude 24. So Jude The second to last book in the Bible, Jude, just one chapter. So that's why I said Jude 24. Whether you turn there or see on the screen, let me hear you say. And Jude writes these words. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And here's my last application. I find my security in him. I find my security in him. Now, to him who is able to keep you, that word keep is a military term. The picture is this. God is saying, I keep you, but I keep you like a guard keeps the prisoners. I'm watching over you in that exact same way. And the word stumbling, to keep you from stumbling, is a military word as well. It speaks of a sure-footed horse It's able to go throughout any terrain. Because here's the deal, here's what we know, the world is a slippery place. The enemy is at every turn seeking to trip us up. And we see in our lives many stumbles and many falls. Yet, according to Jude, our God is able to keep us from stumbling. There's a story of a little boy who was walking down the street, clutching his dad's finger. And along the way, the boy slipped, he lost his grip, and he fell father picked him up, gave him his finger once again. They kept walking soon, not too long. The boy slips, falls again, loses his dad's finger. His dad picks him up and the boy looks up at his dad and says, this time, instead of me holding on to you, why don't you hold on to me? And from that moment on, the boy did not fall again. And brothers and sisters, in a greater, deeper, higher way, our God is able to keep us When we can't keep ourselves, when we can't keep ourselves, the gospel, the gospel teaches us that we are all sinners. We are all in need of a savior. It tells us that we can't save ourselves, but praise be to God. God sent his son to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And the way that we receive salvation is not to come to God with all the things that we can do, thinking that we can earn anything We come to God knowing that he has already earned it for us through his son, by his mercy and his grace. But here's the deal. God not only saves us, praise God, he keeps us to the end. He keeps us. Let me ask a question this morning. How many of you have ever in your life experienced a miracle? So many of us, and I, I don't know what comes to mind when you raise your hand and think of a miracle, but here's what I do know. If you are saved at least two miracles have happened in your life and one more is going to. If you're saved, two miracles have happened in your life. First of all, you've been saved. That's the greatest miracle that can ever happen in your life as you have been saved. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. That's a description of any person outside of faith in Jesus Christ. Good intentions, human effort, good works can't fix that. Can't fix dead in sin. Listen, dead people don't need reform. Dead people need resurrection. And that's what God does for us through his son. It's a miracle that we are saved. But hear this. It's also a miracle that we're still saved. It's a miracle that you're still saved. Because here's what I know. And don't misunderstand me. But here's what I do know. If it was possible for us to lose our salvation, we would. If it was possible for us to lose our salvation, I know me. I'd lose it every day. I can't even find my keys most days. I mean, think about this: we lose our car keys. What would we do with salvation if salvation was dependent upon us? We lose our car keys. We misplace money. We misplace everything. If salvation was dependent on you and me, we would lose it. We would lose it in a moment. But praise be to God. Praise be to God. He can't lose it. So on your own, you would have given up. On your own, you would have thrown in the towel. But By the grace of God, he keeps us. But praise be to God, there's another miracle coming. So not only are we saved, miracle number one, are we kept, miracle number two, miracle number three is that God will present us blameless up there. Listen to what it says. Prevent us from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Praise be to God. And there's a play on words here. The the word present means this, to make you stand. So what it's saying is not only does God keep you from falling, God will make you stand. And where will he make you stand? It says before the presence of his glory. Well, where is that? He is the presence of glory. So we will stand before him. We will stand before him, and God will see us. Think about this. You're not blameless. You can be blamed for a lot of things. You can be, let me say it again, you can be rightly blamed for a lot of things. And I can be rightly blamed for many, many things. So we can't, here's what I know, I can't clean myself up. I can't take the brokenness of my life and put them back together. But God can. And he takes me and he makes me a new creation in him. That when God sees me, he does not see me now in my brokenness. He sees me in Christ And he sees Christ in me. And it makes all the difference in the world. And God one day will present me blameless before his presence with great joy. With great joy. Therefore, Therefore, how do I apply this? How do I end this? And this is kind of the application of my word for the year. For me, and I pray for you. Because of all of this, I live my life now. My life now to him. Him, my life now to Him every day, God, to you, to you, God, to you who's able to strengthen me this day. When we wake up in the morning, we don't know what's coming, but God does. And there's mercy for the day and there's strength for this day. God is able and He is the answer to my every need. God, help me to look to you today and every day for what you are. You're the answer, God, you're the answer. And help me, Lord, to know that. The ultimate picture of this book doesn't say, if you hang on to God, you'll be saved. It says, no, God hangs on to you. Amen. So therefore, I don't. I believe in the perseverance of the saints, but also more than that, I believe in the perseverance of the Savior. That who Jesus saves, he keeps. Because if, if you could lose your salvation, then it's not eternal. And if you lose your salvation, it's not everlasting. And if you could lose it, then somehow you're... You're walking along, floating in the air, wondering where your hope is and do you have it or not. And yet this book comes along and says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know now, right now, to him. To him. May we surrender ourselves to him this day and every day, all for his glory. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And we're going to call the... Instrumentalist up and Brother Frank up as we enter this time of invitation and consecration as we're about to sing an amazing hymn called Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And it is, let me tell you, it's just as sweet today to trust in Jesus as it was 2,000 years ago and it will remain sweet to trust in him. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we come before you in this moment, rejoicing God in you. Now to him, you who is able. Lord, you are able. You are more than able, God. You are able. Lord, we we might not know if you're willing. We want to always pray according to your will. But God, we know that you're able. We know that you can. And Lord, we just want to trust you. We want to trust, God, your strength in the midst of, God, we're weak. Lord, you're strong. Lord, we like to think we have the answers, God, but you are the answer. And Lord, you are the one who holds on to us. John 10, Jesus, you said nothing can snatch them from my hand and nothing can snatch them from my Father's hand. Nothing, according to Romans 8, can separate us from the love of Christ or the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. Thank you, God, for your strength. Thank you for the answer, which is you. Thank you for holding us and keeping us. Just finish this time, tis so sweet, to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.